everybody out there. Welcome. Good to have you here. This is the U.S. Grace Force Podcast. I'm Doug Barry, along with my good friend, Father Richard Heilman. And tonight, a recurring guest and one of Father's good co-author friends, Father Bill Peckman. Of course, before we get into the show tonight, we definitely want to begin with prayer. And Father Heilman, as always, I leave that to you. Sure. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Father, and everybody else out there. Thank you. As always, we want to thank you very much for your support, your encouragement, your prayers, your comments. Father and I just both recently spoke together at a, uh, well, at an event up in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, and just to meet some of the people up there who, who tell us that they're watching the podcast and the encouragement from that is always, always incredibly uh, humbling and helpful. So thank you all. And for those of you that we met in Chippewa Falls Conference, God bless you. And it was great to meet you in person. Uh, of course, I also want to thank everybody out there who supports us in the Patreon program. If you're interested at all, you feel maybe inspired in any way, shape, or form to help us out, help us get this message out, click the link in the description below. It's a tremendous way to help us. And if anybody's not paying attention, we just want to let this out a little bit. Uh, at the time we record this, we have been uh, temporarily flag banned, however you want to put it, from our normal video platform. So we're up on Rumble right now with this video. Uh, yeah, they caught something a year ago that we did, and while we try to be very careful because we're trying not to be deplatformed, they caught something they didn't like, and boom, it happened. So continue to support us if you can uh, through Rumble and spread the word so people can at least pick up the podcast through there, or of course the audio version you can get wherever you find your podcast. Okay, tonight we have a great guest, and Father, I know he's a good friend of yours, so I will pass this to you and let you bring in Father Peckman. First of all, I want to say um, I am uh, so grateful to you, Doug. I said this last night when we oh. got together and talked, but um, I just so lit up about wanting to become the best version of myself so spiritually and then physically as well. And, and your Battle Ready Coalition is uh, unbelievable, uh, mostly because you feel like you're with other people, mm. your you're battle buddies together and all this. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I was, I was telling you guys before, I, I lifted weights this morning, and then I did a lot of cardio. Nice. And uh, and, and I I'm fasting. That's the other thing too. Um, I in fact I'm really hungry right now because I haven't <laughs> eaten yet today. So so let's move this along, will you please? Uh, <laughs> See a quick show. Fifteen yeah, yeah, yeah. minute program tonight, everybody. Yikes! Am I hungry? <laughs> but uh, I've lost about 38, 40 pounds, and uh, just feeling the best I've ever felt. And Good. then Good. I was telling you too that. I was unloading my car from the talk last night. I was doing it this afternoon. I walk into the house. I'm just about ready to put it on the dining room table. And I tripped over something and, and I was holding it. I didn't have a way to catch myself. I did a almost a face plant on the ground, but a belly flop. And oh, uh, my knee's a little sore. My gut's a little sore. But uh, but uh, because of you, Doug, I think I survived that fall. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. But. Oh, that's uh, awesome. But checking them out at Battle Ready Coalition, we're having a lot of fun. It's very exciting. And a lot of us are, are just, uh, like I say, trying to get to the best version of ourselves we yeah. can possibly be. Yeah. And speaking of which, uh, yesterday was day 40 of, uh, um, of uh, what is it? Uh, 40, uh, 90 days to peace, we're calling yeah, it. Right. But, but we used the first 40 days with our book, Father Bill. There it is. Let Freedom Ring. Um, you conceived this and, uh, you asked me about it. It was right after a retreat. You can talk about it if you want, but, uh, I remember it was last year is July. It was right after a retreat. You said, I got this. And I said, listen, if you got in a retreat, then we're supposed to do it. But, uh, then I said, what do you think about bringing our good friend, Father Altman? In? And we did. And, uh, there's our pictures on the back and the three of us, uh, put this book together. I love, love, love this book. I love this book. Let freedom ring. Uh, you can get it at romancatholicgear.com. But uh, we, we, we spent the first 40 days of our 90 days uh, looking at the reflections from this. And it was fun to look back on those again. Uh, so, and you and I, uh, Father Bill, uh, we were texting and talking on the phone and solving all the problems of the world. But uh, just trying to hammer out what the devil's up to and, and, and what we believe are in, we're in perfect sync of what we believe the, the direction we need to go. 
with our, our, our church and our world. And I guess that's what tonight's going to be really all about. And you, you hit on something uh, recently and it really um, uh, excited me because I think you hit the nail on the head with this. And that's where we're going with this. Uh, are we a family or Jesus Inc? Or are we a corporation? And, uh, and you really d d dove into this. And I, I pray you, you make a book out of this too, because I think you did hit the nail on the head. So Father Bill, um, can you kind of give us a synopsis of, you know, maybe what you mean by, I, I know one of the terms that I love you're using is transactional Catholicism. What really are you getting at with this? Because uh, you've had some marvelous posts on social medias and, uh, and some great teachings on this. Can you kind of help us bring, bring everybody up to speed that's listening right now? Okay, this has been a 20-year project for me Nice. Um, since I became a pastor and trying to understand, you know, every parish I've gone into, there's been some level of dysfunction. And why is that dysfunction there? And so over the years, it's become more and more clear to me because one of the reasons that dysfunction is there is that the way that we relate to the parish has massively changed over the last 70, 80 years. It really does predate um, the Second Vatican Council and has come into full force. Um, we see it now. And I think that the way that most parishioners um, deal with their parish is very similar to how they would deal with a store. And the way that we present ourselves anymore is very much that same kind of mentality of you know, we're kind of like church mart, you know, holy stuff at, you know, bargain basement prices. And that same kind of relation exists. So um, in my last post, for example, I used two examples of how people approach the church. And one of them is I make the point, I'm, I'm a 56-year-old male. When I go to the store, I don't go into the women's department. I don't go into the children's department. There's nothing there that I want. So I avoid those places. I go in, I get out. And with as little damage to my wallet as humanly possible. And a lot of times that's how our parishioners approach us with that same kind of here, I'm, Father, I want this kind of liturgy. I want these kind of programs. I expect this out of the school. And I will give you whatever I think those things are worth. And what happens is that the collection turns into a cash register. Yeah. And I'll write out my check for what I think it's worth in here, but don't ask for any kind of a relationship because, you know, if you think about your relationships with stores, you know, you're not friends with the manager of the store if you know them at all. You're not friends with the staff, you know, you're, you're not friends with your co-shoppers unless, of course, they were previously friends, but that's not where you go to meet people. You go to do your shopping and get out. And a lot of ways, that's what most parishes have become. So true. And, and it begs the question, and this was something that came up in my reflections for approaching Holy Week. Is this what Jesus Christ gave his life for? So that we could be a multinational corporation with branch offices around the world. And... I think anybody with any kind of a theological background would scream, no, absolutely not. And I use the example in that column of, you know, Jesus instructs us to call the first person the Trinity Father. He reveals himself as son at the foot of the cross, something that we will reflect on this Friday. He gives his mother to us to be our mother. You know, the scriptures refer to us as brothers and sisters, adopted sons and daughters of God. Um, the theme of marriage is throughout the scriptures, which, by the way, redefining marriage is so very dangerous because it's the linchpin of our identity yep. in, in the scriptures. Um, I'll come back to that because I think that's intentional what's happening. And these terms aren't used as hallmark sentiments. This is what God has revealed that he wants out of us, this familial bond. And if you're going to be a family, then this whole idea of I come in, I get out, and I pay as little as humanly possible in process 
gets destroyed. But if you look back in history, and I'll use the example of around the Great Depression in this country. The Great Depression was the single biggest building boom of churches and seminaries and orphanages and convents among a population that was poor because we were looking out for each other and looking out for the needs of the church. And somewhere around after the Second World War, that just kind of fell apart. And I was talking to uh, Father Hellman before the show, around the same time, this country went from being a country of manufacturers to a country of consumers. Right. And that poison that got into our society bled right into how we viewed the church as yep, well. Exactly. What, what, uh, what decade are, are you thinking of when you say that? Late 1940s. Okay. That's when it starts. And if you look at statistics in Europe and the United States, the decline in Europe is already precipitous by okay. 1950. And by the late 1950s, it's starting to fall in the United States. And then both of them plummet through the 60s and yeah. to today. Yeah. Now, Father, you mentioned something, an interesting point, if you could expand a little bit on. The, during the Great Depression was the time we had a boom in building churches, seminaries, convents, and so forth. You break mm -hmm. that down a little bit more. I mean, because obviously most people are going to think, well, if you're poor, you're not going to be giving. But there was a, something different. The moral grounding that people had was even different back then. Right. Can, yeah, break that down a bit more. And it, it, again, goes back to the two concepts of how you view the church. Mm -hmm. um, if you would look at these same people within their families back in the Great Depression, you had to pull everything together for the, for the survival of the family. But the understanding was that that family wasn't just your blood relatives. It was the people you went to church with. Your parish was your family. And so um, you have this boom because people are pulling their sources together to build these things to help build the church. That's kind of foreign now. And I, I would even go as far as to say it's representing architecture. You look at these churches built in the 20s and 30s and 40s, these magnificent cathedrals and churches. And you look at what's built today for the most part auditoriums. Yeah, right. They speak to a family gathering or a place to shop. Right. Yeah. I, I Right now, as I'm listening to, I'm thinking of, I grew up in the 60s. I was a little kid in the 60s. And so I certainly saw this coming in, but, the, but you're right. I mean, we, I, I belong to St. Mary Gertie Parish and we truly believe that that whole neighborhood in there was the St. Maria Gretti neighborhood. There was this sense of parish family my parents actually helped start the parish over there in saint maria gretti and they were all in and so were we you know the kids and now all my brothers and sisters all go to church and and i think this gets to what you're saying is we grew up with that sense of family at least in the 60s i think it fell apart in the 70s but we grew up with that sense of we're a family and so you know we were at the pancake breakfast or spaghetti dinner or whatever you know whatever the parish was doing we were there we were serving tables we were washing dishes we were doing but you had this this zeal about that because you know this is great the family's getting together you know and everybody knew everybody and everybody socialized with everybody and you know and and so it was just a, a kind of a heyday but here i want to i want to point to something father and get your take on this is that I went to that I w went to Edgewood High School, which is a Catholic school in in uh, Madison, and in my freshman year when I got there, the, all the religious imagery, everything that you're talking about was there. The nuns were in full habits, mm. and and the priests were were in the hallway at all times. We had mass every morning. I remember the religious education center. You know, was teeming with books on everything you want to know about the Catholic faith. I mean, it, you, the, the Catholic, the sense of Catholic identity was so strong. Okay, that was my freshman year. By my sophomore year, it was gone. Mm -hmm. In one year, you know, they 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 uh, gutted out all the religious imagery. The the nuns' habits went from long to short. The priest was MIA. We had mass once a semester. Okay, the religious ed room, they emptied out the room of, of all the books and bookshelves and threw a beanbag in the middle of the room and said, okay, go meditate. 
in one year that happened. But you know what's interesting, Father? You know what year that was? 1973. Does that date ring a bell? I And I contend that when they decided to start killing babies and make that and normalize that, Father Ripico will talk about portals. I believe the sky opened up and it rained demons on our country at that time. And, and, and so that the devil started taking more charge. And, and here's the other thing, and I'll close with this, is that if, if we look back um, at what post-Vatican II, it really ramped up that spirit of Vatican II. They kept, that was their narrative. It, you can't find it in the documents, but the spirit of the documents is, and then they could do anything they wanted. But that right. was all the liberal bishops that took charge at that time. And they, 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 they loved Protestantism and they hated Catholicism. I mean, they were embarrassed by it. I went to seminary and I saw two guys kicked out because they caught caught uh, with a devotion to the Blessed Mother. Okay. I mean, that's how bad it got. That was in the 80s when I went to seminary. But uh, it, it, the devil took charge. And, and like you said, instead of these beautiful churches, and I'm going to close with one more thing. It just popped in my head. I'm at St. Mary's in Pine Bluff. We have the most beautiful church I've ever seen, built in 1888 by tenant farmers who didn't have two nickels to rub together, but they felt it was that important that they create that sacred, sacred space to help us all open up and say, my Lord and my God. That's what was going on at that time. But look but look what happened right, right, uh, right after Vatican II, and, and I think especially in the early 70s. I'll shut up now. Okay, Father, what do you, can, you, can you comment on that? <clears throat> yeah, because when you were talking, it occurred to me that, and I'm trying to remember the event, and it's slipping my mind, um, that the precipitous fall in Protestantism began a little bit earlier, like Lambeth Conference, back in, is. I think it was 1928 or 1932, yeah. Yeah. when the, the demonic um, use of artificial birth control seeped its way into... Right. Christianity and just kind of seeped its way into the popular culture. You know, I think of the Supreme Court case Griswold versus Connecticut, where, you know, it was okay to use birth control, you know, any laws against it were struck down, which inevitably led to 1973 and Roe v. Wade and um, yeah. Doe versus and the uh, sexual revolution that yeah. came in like a torrent. Which was all meant to do one thing, and that was to destroy the family. Right. I, I'm the family. And yeah, you look at former governments like communism, socialism, you know, they despise the family. Right. And so it was a two pronged um, attack on the outside, destroying the family in the culture, and from within the church, destroying the sense of family within the church. And replacing it with basically this corporation kind of model. Yep. And, and we can see that just in the fact that especially teachings on human sexuality, if you look at what the German bishops are right, doing right now, mm. they're wanting to throw everything out. And yep. it, it's, it reminds me back in the days when I um, worked in business. Why did you throw things out? Because you didn't think they were selling. And so when you don't think things are selling, you shuffle your merchandise and spruce up the place and try to pretend that everything's fine. But, you know, all of those teachings have already been undermined within much of Europe, the United States, and Latin America. And we're really trying to force that issue, especially on sub-Saharan Africa to do the same thing, to destroy that aspect of the family, both within and without, because if you can destroy the family from within and without the church, the culture's yours, and there's nothing to stop it. And that the church really has gone to a destructive model. And I don't think anybody, you know, at least most people, this wasn't their intention. It was just how the culture drifted, and they drifted along with it. And we never challenged it. Right. Um, because we we're trying we to hold the business together to, to you, to right. use what you're the way you're framing it to, right now. 
is that if if we do, then there's going to be, and this is the word I've come to, to, to test, it's divisive, they say. You know, mm -hmm. if you if you dare challenge what the ruling class is trying to usher in, okay, you're being divisive. And, and it, I always think then it flashes in my mind, you know, Jesus said, do you think I've come to bring peace? No, division. You know, father against son, mother against daughter, right? Uh, right. What, what he meant by that, I know, is that you're going to ruffle feathers by bringing the truth because there's people that don't like the truth. Where we're at right, right now is you've got a bunch of CEOs slash bishops that are trying to hold it together and trying to keep the, the, the money train coming, okay? Uh, and, and so don't ruffle any feathers. Don't be divisive because, you know, they're concerned about the business. At least that's my It even opinion. goes worse than that. And that is, when you look at the last 20 years, all of the scandals, all of the cover-ups, why was there cover-ups? To protect the institution, yep. protect the buildings, the patrimony. Protect the business. Um, yeah, to protect the business side of it. We yep. And you look at how a lot of bishops, and not every bishop, but a lot of bishops um, responded to the crisis. It was, you know, go away or I'll write you a check and go away. Right. But the understanding that people got injured, that their spirituality was damaged, that their trust in God was damaged. But we yeah. didn't want to talk about that. We'll shove them to. We, we got a, CEOs you know, when we needed fathers. Hmm. Right. Yep. And if you talk to a lot of people, and I have that have been in that position, they didn't want to check. They wanted, they wanted a, you know, they wanted to hear, I'm sorry, they wanted to hear that, you know, there was something worth holding on to. Yeah. And that there was and accountability. The we, yeah. yeah. And, and the accountability, that, that leans back to the family. Mm -hmm. Because in the corporate world, accountability is if you get caught, then, you know, then it becomes a problem. You know, in, in the corporate world, getting caught is the only sin. Mm. And we're, we've seen that so many times, especially in the last 20 years, and I think that that has fed, you know, fed that cynicism. And so one of the things I point out in my column is that one of the truest ways of understanding how bad things have got is if you use the word stewardship. What is the first thing you think of when you hear the word stewardship? Fundraising. Money. <laughs> Money. Yeah. Money, yeah. you know, finances, you know, it's kind of like the store saying we're going to raise the prices on our goods, mm. you know, but we still want to shop here. And if you're a corporation, then that's all you got. That's the only way that you can approach stewardship is more money. Um, in our diocese, we're in the middle of a stewardship program, and the bishop starts with mass. We'll talk about money and we'll talk about volunteering down the road. You've got to be coming to Mass. You've got to, and for Lent, for example, where a lot of bishops will say, come back to church, come back to church, come back to Mass, our bishop is saying, come back to the sacrament of confession, you know, because you have to be reconciled to the family to yeah, be able right. to, you know, be at Mass with us. And so that understanding of recasting everything back into the sense of family, because if you talk about stewardship within family, then it makes sense. What does a good family do? They support one another. And again, you go back to the Great Depression. They supported each other because they saw each other as family, not as co-shoppers or right. co-consumers. Right. Yeah, I did a quick search on that. It, it, it was the Conference of Lambeth. It was in 1930, and it was referred to as Resolution 15 is infamous now. Right. Um, and I like what you said, Father, because Resolution 15 was about them saying that they could, on Christian principles, they could find a moral reason to avoid conceiving a child, uh, which opened the floodgate. And 19, end of 1930, I believe it was Costi Kanubi was written. No, not Costi. Right. Was it? Yeah, it was Costi Kanubi, 1930, right? Came out December 31st, I think, where, where the Holy Father was, was saying, you, you cannot use birth control. But it opened a floodgate, Father. You're right on that. I, I, I just think that, that that point you make of you throw things out that don't sell anymore. You have the the big, you know, the big board meetings, people sitting around, they well, what's working? What isn't? Well, this isn't working. Well, let's get rid of it. This is working. Okay, we're gonna keep promoting this. And anytime you make things easier, 
and make people more comfortable, do people gravitate towards that? It's like, I would say it's like water going downhill. It always seeks the path of least resistance. Right. Um, but it, it only makes you softer and it only makes you weaker. If you get too comfortable, there needs to be some sort of resistance, even physical resistance training to stay strong. Otherwise your muscles will begin to atrophy spiritually. Right. There needs to be challenges or spiritually you'll atrophy and you'll start just falling apart and getting weaker. And I like the point you make also, I mean, about the, the, the you know, talk about accountability, it's accountability, but it's also, I think is what you're getting at within the family that there needed to be healing. Yeah. Um, the, the, any family problems, any, any um, uh, dysfunctional family, uh, my father was an alcoholic and he died 30 years ago. In fact, uh, this month, beginning of April, 30 years ago, he died of a massive heart attack from alcoholism. And the family, you know, for years, just the struggle with healing because there was no, there was no closure. There was no accountability slash forgiveness, not reconciliation, I think is the term we're looking for here. Cause, and that's what you emphasize. Right. And, and that, that's not being emphasized right now in the church. Is it very much? I mean, come back to the mass, but like, like your Bishop saying, come back to confession, come back and, and convert which seems to be what the Blessed Mother has been warning us about in church-approved apparitions for the last 100 years. Plus, 100 years plus, go back to Fatima. Your comment on that about the, the need to just kind of rejuvenate and, and the, the call for conversion over and above the maybe social justice push that we've been getting? Well, I think back to the seminary that taught us about the four types of prayer, adoration, penance, um, petition, and... Um, Thanksgiving. In a functional family, you have all four of those at play at any given time. Right. You know, and when I love you, I'm sorry, and thank you disappear, and all you have left is I want, it mm. breeds that instability within the family. Yeah. Now, if you think about how do you approach a business, I want. Maybe if you're polite, you'll say thank you, but the rest of it, no. So within that family, there's that understanding of that reconciliation needs to take place, that we don't seek ways to divide against ourselves. And doesn't that describe the Catholic Church in this country? You know, we become a circular firing squad, mm. you know, of various, you know, groups that, you know, are constantly at war with each other. You know, there are times I am not only half jokingly saying the Catholic Church in this country makes the war or the Lord of the Flies look like, you know, Pollyanna, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that we're just constantly at war. And that idea of reconciliation isn't there. And, and, when, and Father, I mean, I'm sorry, on that point, do you mean just within, within bishops and priests or you mean like even groups in the laity? Because I... I think I see groups in the laity that are doing oh, the same thing. Oh, yeah. It's across yeah. the board. I mean, we refer to some as um, parish shopping. Now, some people will go to different parishes because things have become completely intolerable at their own parish. And I, and I understand that. Yeah. But there are some that it's, I want a particular type of worship. Hmm. I want something that speaks to me. That it's, you know, a worship of God. You know, that's nice. But I, you know, for example, I, I want tambourines and handholding, or I want incense and lace. And sometimes people do the same reason. And I know that's going to get a lot of people upset because nobody likes being told that maybe your reason for why you chose where to go has to do with externals. Mm. Yeah. And that, and I'm not saying that for everybody, but, and then the truest form of how you can find out if somebody did that is they will look down their nose at people that don't do what they do. Hmm. We have a better product than you do. And it's insufferable. And sometimes, you know, when it comes from the right side, I, I will mumble under my breath, this is why we can't have nice things. You know, that kind of snarky attitude. Hmm. And both sides, both extremes do it. Um, so... If something is engendering division, and I'm not talking about, you know, what you brought before that Jesus said that you thought I, you know, bring peace, bring peace, I, you know, there's going to be division and we have to accept that's a part of it. But when the truth brings about division, that's one thing. But when our personal tastes bring about division, 
that's a whole different thing altogether. And, you know, if you think within the context of family, when, you know, especially kids start playing my way or the highway, all you have is left is arguments between the kids. Yep. And so, and part of it also it, I, with this is, and I know you hit on this all the time, Doug, and so does Father Heilman, and this is a huge thing I go to, is the fatherhood of the priest. Mm. They're supposed to be, you know, we're called father for a reason. And, you know, for example, I take from my own father, who has passed away some years ago. We grew up very poor. And when we sat down to the table, there were six of us kids, my mother and my, and my dad. Dad always felt, um, fed himself last. So we started with mom, went around the table, and then whatever was left over, dad took. And I just thought that was, a, that was the man thing. That was a guy thing. I didn't realize until I got in my teens what he was doing is that his wife and kids got fed first. And if there was anything left, he got it. Mm. And there were a lot of times he got up from the table. He had to be hungry. And there was that quiet self-giving. He never whined about it. He never complained about it. He just did it. You know, and the other example is, you know, his work shirts would be threadbare, almost translucent. And I know dad had to be teased by his coworkers, but the money went to go to his wife and his children to clothe them. And then what was left went to him. And I think that kind of heroicism, self-giving, if we're going to have that sense of family within our parishes, it's, you know, the priest plays a large role in that and that, and they should be able to see some of that heroic nature within the priest. And it comes from that self-giving also comes from saying things that people don't want to hear. You know, you're a parent and I am sure, or maybe your kids are wonderful. And, but most parents, they have suffered that white hot look of absolute hate from their child with the, I hate you, you're destroying my life, you don't understand. And it's easy for a parent to back off, but a loving parent will stand their ground and they'll take it because they know what they have just said to this kid is to their own good. And hopefully the kid will come to that conclusion. You know, a loving dad won't throw his kid out of the house because he's done that, but reconciliation also needs to take place. So, so there needs so to be more of that masculine imagery um, so I shouldn't have kicked my kids out when they were seven and eight and nine and complained about the toys I didn't buy them. And yeah, there are probably laws against that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I knew there was, a, well, knew there was well, a reason why they still don't talk to me. Yeah. While I'm listening to you talk about good dads, uh, of course, what I'm about to say would absolutely apply to you father. But, uh, yesterday, as was mentioned, Doug and I were up in uh, Chippewa falls and we were the, with father Altman. And I got up and I think it was toward the end of my talk. I just said, I just, I just want to say this, that I've never met a more loving person and a, and a, a more generous dad than father Altman. Well, thank you. Uh, oh, father Altman. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. And then, then there's Doug over there. Oh, yeah. but anyways, I just, I'm sitting in the crowd while father's yeah, speaking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but the point I was getting at is what you just said. Sometimes uh, you're going to say things the kids aren't going to like. Right. And, and, but it's for their greater good. And it's because you love them. I had a dad who was very strict, uh, but he was, he, he clowned with us and he was tender as could be uh, most of the time. But there was time where he just, he laid the law down. And, and it, why? Because we had to understand very clearly what he was teaching us and that it was serious what he was teaching us so that it got in our bones. And there was no question about it. Um, I, I, we've been uh, abused as uh, men and dads uh, over the last decade for sure, and and told that you know you're 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 abusing your children if you're if you're mean to them or you know give them a participation trophy and uh, uh, all this stuff, and it's just been an abysmal failure. Uh, because it's raised kids that don't have a true sense of right, what's right and wrong and can easily, and I'll put it this way, can easily then be manipulated or swayed by the devil or, or what he wants us to believe. 
uh, rather than what's really true. So I, I just, I, I wanted to just give a shout out to Father Altman. Um, I, I, again, I've never met him more. There's so many examples of that too. Like I had a couple of friends from my parish that went up and wanted to just shake his hand and get a selfie. He took him out to breakfast, you know? Um, I mean, that's just, he's, he's that kind of guy. I wasn't surprised at all. Um, but you know, so, uh, this, this total selflessness, but, but, and, and here's, I'll end with this too, too father and, and see if this resonates with you as well. But, um, we, I, I know you and I know me, I will throw in father Altman too, as priests, we do see this, that we're family. And, and then so that you, you have a, a real deep love for your, your flock, your children that you're the father of. And, uh, it, it hurts when you realize that it's not being reciprocated so that when they find a parish with a better choir or, you know, right. uh, with better decor or something, uh, you know, they they shop, uh, it stings. It stings when, when we see that happen. Um, and so I, I, you know, how, how do you feel father when you, when that happens? Oh, I know everybody's it's, flocking to your church, but oh uh, yeah, yeah, of course they are. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, I was talking to you know you were weightlifting today. I went to spiritual direction today, and I was talking to my spiritual director about this. In that, yes, it stings, but we're now seventy years into this. We made this monster. Yep, and I, I don't blame them for this because they're reacting and responding exactly the way they were taught to. Yep. And that's why switching this back to a sense of family over corporation is going to be very difficult. And I think a lot of people are going to leave because a being a consumer doesn't require conversion. It, it doesn't require change. It requires the store to change, not you. And being in a familial bond a familial bond will always bring out the best in you, a, a functional familial bond. And we've got to get back to that sense because the world is not going to help us. If you look at especially how the family is presented in the media, the more dysfunctional, the better. Um, redefined to where mom, dad, and the kids is the last definition. And if we're not responding it tacitly gives approval to that vision. And if we're furthermore acting as a store, then it is vocally approving of that vision. And I, you know, in talking to my spiritual director, I, I said, I wonder sometimes if the fall of the family of this, comp or this country was not precipitated by what happened within the church when we made that shift because we quit modeling something for people that was absolutely necessary. Well, when I, I think when you consider that, that Christ himself comes into the world in a family, um, right. I would say he could have just come walking out of the desert at, you know, 33 years old or 30 years old and began his ministry. Um, but he, he chooses to come into the world through family. Um, we've been told that the, 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 the family bond is, 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 uh, the best example. I've heard this. I, I don't know if a saint said this or someone, a Pope wrote it or, or what, but that the family bond is the best example of the Holy Trinity, the love between the father and the son, the spirating Holy spirit is the love between the husband and wife and the offspring of the children and so forth, that there's some just beautiful mystery behind that. And then of course we hear sister Lucia saying that, that it was revealed to her by the blessed mother that the final battle between the kingdom of heaven and Satan would be over marriage and family that, but, but you can see how that ties in with the church so clearly. And, and father Peckman, isn't there that famous statement that well, famous or not, that as the church goes, so goes society and society, of course, being rooted in the family um, and such a, 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 I mean, all the, the examples you're giving here tonight uh, or in this episode of, of, of the importance of the church and that it needs to be a family and not a, a, you know corporation. Um, it just makes sense then that the devil would go after the church in order to destroy the family. Is that, is that logic follow or, or what do you think I'm off there? That makes perfect sense. Just if, if you were the devil, what would you do? Mm. You know, as well, uh, you would know as well as, you know, 
any tyrant that the family is your main obstacle. Mm. And if you can take those things that support the family and take them out of the equation, then the family is left defenseless. You know, and this goes back to this whole idea of spiritual warfare. If we're so busy fighting each other, we're giving the devil just carte blanche mm, to destroy right. everything in his path. And, you know, I, I don't know if this would be considered abuse anymore, but, you know, like, for example, my, my dad taught me how to fight, mm. you know, and, and you yeah. know, and, and when to fight, mm. you know, that not everything was about throwing a punch. Right. Um, but that sometimes you did have to fight back, that you had to stand your ground. Yeah. And that running away from a problem was not a, not a solution. Right. We quit teaching our children that. Yeah. Um, we taught them how to file lawsuits. Defenseless. Yeah. We, it's like, you got a problem? <laughs> Sue somebody. Yeah. Sue somebody, you know. And, and Or just cancel them. Or just cancel them. And we're seeing that more and more because that's easier. Yeah. If you have a regional manager or a you know store manager's out of line with the institution's vision, well, you just fire them. You get rid of them. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I remember being, uh, I was thinking about this too while I was listening to you, uh, being ordained 1988 and, uh, and coming into the church and into these parishes and I would have never come to the place where we we're framing it right now saying, you know, is it Jesus Inc or is it a corporation or is it a, you know, retail store? Uh, I would have never uh, at the time thought of it that way. Yet you look back and you go, that's exactly what, what it was. Uh, because do you remember liturgy committees? I don't know. Maybe you have them still. Uh, I haven't had one in decades. I don't think, but uh we always had these liturgy. Every parish had them. And what did you get together to do? To find a new nuance to add that would attract more people. You know, what what new little thing can we? We were marketing. We we're marketers, mm-hmm. and and you know we we're trying to be the the best store in the mall. You know, and and uh, and and I didn't know. I had no idea that there 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 was anything wrong with that or anything. But then, and I'm not going to go into it now because I think everybody that's seen our podcast had me or heard me say it uh, over and over again. But then I had that experience in Rome in 1998, 10 years of priest when I went on sabbatical with John Paul II. And there I'm in St. Peter's Basilica and sacred music and this, uh, this, this beautiful order, like a military honor guard. And I mean, just everything. Uh, and I just went, holy cow, God's here. You know, I've, more than I've ever felt that before. God is here. And then I went, yikes, what have I been doing? You know, I remember, I remember the mass of creation. Was, uh, I think everybody did that one. And, and I had a, I had a, a baby gr- guy with a baby, he's very talented, baby grand piano who was uh, parked like 10 feet from my altar, kind of uh, to my left and, and behind me. I mean, in the sanctuary, obviously. And he was good. And, uh, and, and, and I would, I would start father, all powerful and ever living God. And then the piano, piano would go bring, we do well always and everywhere. You, you see, it was a Broadway musical, right? And I was trying my best to be Dean Martin, you know, up there. And, but you know, but you thought you're, uh, one way to frame it is you're giving your best to God. You know, you're trying to, as, but Honestly, it was it was trying to market the best. And again, you know, what what banner should we add this week? And you know, little you know, felt banner. You know, the the liturgy committee. Uh, and it, it's so much, Father. You hit the nail on the head. This transactional Catholicism or retail store Catholicism. That's where we were. And I woke up on that in 1998. And it took me a while to kind of get it out of my bones. You know, over it took a few years. But, uh, but I get it now, you know, we're, we're, what we're supposed to do is to just got, give God our best and then whatever, let the chips fall from there. But, uh, but, you know, not to have that sense of marketing, but did you have that at all when you were starting out as a priest at sense? 
No, it troubled me from the very beginning. Okay. Just this whole idea of give the people what they want. Right. I'm just like, that's, that's not what I was ordained to do. Right. And as I kept trying to figure out how do I approach, and I never had a name for it until maybe about 10 years ago. And part of that was I went through this whole thing. I started looking at all of these um, parish improvement books. Yeah. You know, and they all diagnosed the problem very well. And then their solution for building up the parish, I, I kept seeing the same thing over and over again. And it made me mad every time I saw it. It was like, all you're doing is saying produce a better product. Right. And it's like, no, you're missing the point. You're not paying attention to your own research of why things are going downhill. Yeah, right. Is that people want that encounter then, you know, they would talk about that encounter, yep. but they would always encounter with other people. This encounter with God seemed to be, yeah. well, if you had that, that's nice. Yeah. And without that encounter of God, we're nothing but an NGO with some arcane statuary. Yep. Yeah, I mean, thinking about what you've been saying, Father Peckman, and, and Father Hamlin, what you just said about um, you gave the people what they wanted. You were trying to figure out what do the people want. If I, as a father, did that to my kids, and they've all moved right. out now, but if I just gave them what they wanted in order to keep them happy, yep. never disappointed, you know, keep them... And to make know, sure they liked you. Make sure they like me. you got to put that yeah. in the mix, because yeah. I think us priests can be susceptible to that you know right that's the motivation i want to make sure you like me right yeah and but and, and as any any parent knows that is a that is one of the top five uh ways to destroy your kids mm -hmm. and and your family by simply seeking to please one of the things we try to teach our kids as they grow up is you being disappointed number one it's not the end of the world and number two it's part of life um, disappointment just means you're not getting things maybe the way you want. Okay. And let's work on that and develop that. But if I just do everything to coddle you and make you feel better, you won't be able to function in the world. You won't be able to do things and you won't be able to handle things when they get rough either. You have to be able to, to look at situations. And I think father Peckman, you had said earlier, you know, when it came to the business model is that, you know, someone, someone's not working well and you just want to fire them rather than taking them and working with them and training them so they can be a better person, a better employee and function better. Well, in the family, you destroy the family if you simply give them what they want and don't ever want them to be disappointed. You see this with little kids sometimes though, and I'm not trying to knock parents because I went through it with five kids. You know, you're walking around with, with, with bags of Cheerios and if they're upset at all, it's give, give them this, oh, oh, give them this. And now it's screens. Now you've got parents turning to screens. Now there's a time and a place for that. Don't get me wrong. And I appreciate a good program to put on for your kids at the right time. But when it becomes the babysitter, because they're always upset, they're always bored, they're always unhappy, quick, do something to make them happy. It sounds a little bit like you were saying, Father Howman, about the the liturgy group getting together, trying to figure out how do we keep people interested in the mass by entertaining right. uh, elements that we need to bring into it. Right. But you will just, I mean, as a father, I would have destroyed my kids. I hope and pray I didn't with other mistakes that I would have made. But that was one thing my wife and I were very much equally, uh, you know, yoked on was we can't just live to make them happy all the time. That will ruin them. Right. So, I mean, the answer lies in getting back to that sense of family. And Father Hellman have been talking because of initiatives being done in our diocese that really seem to want to go to that point of the retail vision of the church has failed us miserably and we need to replace it. And getting back to that sense of family bond. Uh, our diocese, we're doing it with stewardship in Madison. They're doing it with evangelization, if I'm correct. Yes. Yep, that's correct. But it's an understanding that what we have done up to this point hasn't worked. Yeah. And that it has only recently not worked within, you know, when we talk about church history, last 60 or 70 years would be recent. But we can go back to a time where it did work. And I think a lot of people what they want, and I think this is why a lot of people search and um, go from parish to parish, is they're looking for that familial bond, and they're not finding it. Yep. 
And so they'll go to a place and, you know, either they'll settle on something that speaks to them or they'll find that familial bond. Right. I was thinking just now of, uh, we've got a, a very large uh, evangelical church down the street from us. And a lot of people gravitate to that. But uh, I think if they do anything well, it, it, the way it's constructed, it just fascinates me because a huge building and I finally went in and got a tour. And, and uh, when I went in, I noticed the, the, the center section, at least the size of a football field, wow. wide open. Okay. And then to the right was a little cafe, but to the left was like the auditorium where they did their praise and worship and stuff. You know what the center section was for just hanging with each other, hmm. for, for, for milling with each other, to build the bond with each other. And that's what they focused primarily on. And I was, I don't know, I, I was very impressed with that. I don't know if it was at that time that I made a decision, but I said, why do we have coffee and donuts once a month? Let's have it after every mass, you know? Mm -hmm. But that's just the kind of thing to, to find a way to, to, to have us to, to, to slow down and stop just punching the clock and getting your duty in. And then you come in and you, and you leave. It's, it's, again, that sense of store. You get inside the store, you get your stuff, and you run out to your car and you're, you're out of there. And, and I'm doing everything I can find to help us to build that family. Well, this summer we had Thursday night gatherings out on the lawn. Well, they were so fun. We Gracie's Cafe, right? Yeah, Gracie's Cafe out on the yeah. lawn. We started out with an hour of adoration in the church, which was just beautiful. We had the choir, about 80 candles in the sanctuary. It was awesome. And then we came out on the lawn and just built family. And it was just amazing. It's another uh, decision I do not regret, but, but it's so important. You know, we're, we're not a store. We're not a store. We're, we are a family and we've got to do everything we can to build that bond. Don't you think father? Yeah. And the other point is we're also not an NGO. Right. Yeah. One of the things. Activist in, organization. Yeah. Yeah. The, one of the things the Bishop is pleading with us here is to get rid of fundraisers. Oh, good. And saying his thesis is that when we get together as a parish, it shouldn't be to raise money. Right. That when we get together to parish, it's like a family, it's like the Sunday dinner. Right. I remember when I was probably about six or seven years old and would have been whatever was closest to us as long as it wasn't Presbyterian or Catholic. And I remember finally this church in Alabama where we were living at the time. It was Alabama, Mississippi. And it was a Baptist church, one of those white clapboard, you know, churches that sits out in the southern, you know, fields. And I don't remember much about the church service itself. I vaguely remember Sunday school. But what I remember is this there always this huge Sunday meal afterwards. Yeah. Everybody came in and my family was treated as if they had lived there their entire lives. And, you know, we're talking almost 50 years later. I haven't forgotten that. I haven't forgotten that yep. sense of belonging. Now, we're also not a community club, you know, or a country club, but that understanding that you're building this familial bond and that we do that primarily through worship. And then we do get together as a family, we get together. Right. But then again, I'm guessing the, um, the Sunday meal or even, you know, supper on a weekday is pretty much gone in most families. Yeah, we did that growing up. Yeah, and it's been- it revolved around the Packers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and a lot of the sunday meals and even the just the dinner meals in the evenings have been replaced by things um you know uh, extracurricular activities school activities like sports things that we're we are being told constantly are to build character and i would just caution parents right now when it comes to that because nothing builds character better than faith and family right and then your extracurricular stuff so when parents have said to me well, my kid's got to do this because it's a build a character thing. I said, I, I get what you're trying to do there, but don't let it replace these other two elements that right. need to have their priority. You know, this relationship with God first builds the best character of any, of anything. And then of course, you're, if you've got a good, healthy family or, or a family that's trying to move towards being healthy, uh, you want that for the character building, the socialization of your kids and all. What are some of the ways that you're doing that in your own parish? What are, what is ways in your building, um, family that sense of family in your own parish it's twofold first of all the mass of course the mass that's where you know the core is 
and so one of the things I've done in all my churches is rearrange the sanctuary to where, for example, the priest chairs are up against the wall. They're not facing the people. And I tell people, I want you to understand when you come to this church, and no one has to say a word to you, that the focus is God. The focus is Christ. And that's what we build everything around. And then in the homilies and in the instruction, you know, continuous pounding at this, we're supposed to be a, a familial bond. This isn't a, you know, and I refuse to run my parishes as, as stores. And so I approach being a pastor as I would being a dad. You know, I've used the line many times before, if a man wouldn't make a good husband or a good um, dad, he won't make a good priest. Because the same yep. base is necessary for both. Absolutely. And then one of the, and then one, following up on one of the things that the bishop asked us to do. So at one of my parishes, for example, every other month, we get together for something that builds community. So, um, and then every other month, we'll open it to the wider community as a way of doing some evangelization. Nice. And they've nice. taken off. This parish has 180 families and... People have been showing up, you know, anywhere from 75 to 100 for any of these meals, just getting nice. together and having fun. Wow, that's, that's awesome. great. And, and, and building that. So um, we're starting at the other major parish doing that. So I have two major parishes, two smaller parishes. And again, that's one of the things we're doing um, that we're introducing in May, in fact, is um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Chesterton Society. Yep. Mm. If this is yep. for men. This is for men 21 years and up. And we're going to get together. We're going to be outdoors. We're going to have cigars. We're going to have bourbon. And we're going to talk about manly religious things. Nice. We, we did that. We, we, we do that in my parish. I call it pipes and pints. Mm. But maybe maybe we'll, we'll, we'll reframe it as Chesterton Society. Well, that's an actual society, by the way. We're going to be oh, a member of it yeah. you know, here in tiny little Macon, Missouri. Um, yeah. And But there's been incredible interest. Um, it just in how we deal with various parishioners and outreach, everything's aimed at building up that familial bond. Nice. I would recommend with those societies that both of you wonderful priests are doing that you incorporate a little bit of exercise so that men aren't just there sitting around smoking and drinking and talking, but that they're actually <laughs> just working a little bit of blood flow, you know, with uh, the circulation <laughs> and everything in there, just uh, getting ready for the fight, you know? <laughs> just a little bit of advice uh, it's my Thanks. it's my, my my little two cents on that one <laughs> my younger people might appreciate that my older ones might not so much <laughs> well i i realize that and that's i mean it, i i see the guys i try to train and work out with the, the older ones just stop coming after a while because they they always say well it's a young man's game and it's like i, I get what they're saying but you know even mm -hmm. as older guys got to stay in shape so which is why father Heilman was lifting weights today I was. Yeah. yeah. Doing the cardio and all that. Hey, I think that's a great way for us to end. Uh, Father, would you end us with a little prayer and blessing, if you could? Sure. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Spirit. As, as it was, was in the beginning, beginning is now, power. and will be forever. Amen. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, thank you so much. And thank you for being a great dad, a great father. Yeah. You too. Thanks, Father. You.